Well, hey, Rocky Peak, Michael here, and uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet, uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Rocky Peak, and just glad you can join us. Now, if you're, uh, you're watching this right now, you can tell I'm in a different position, different posture, I'm in a seat, and this is not something we're doing that's artistic, creative. Uh, I just had, for the first time in my life, some uh, serious back issues that just struck this week uh, out of the blue about Wednesday night, and so uh, having a very difficult time st uh, standing or walking right now, and so we just thought we'd do the Dr. Phil uh, kind of approach here. So uh, anyway, I'm really excited that you're uh, joining us. I'm excited to be continuing this series, and so hopefully you've, you've downloaded your message note sheet in whichever your favorite format is, and uh, if you're ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. Let's pray together. So Father, we're just thankful to be here, uh, to be under your leadership as a church, and especially in this Christmas season where we celebrate uh, the coming of your Son, uh, the, the Creator coming into creation. Uh, Lord, we're just so thankful for that, the ultimate blessing, and, and we're just so thankful that you not only came, but you, you gave your life for us so we could rise with you to a new life and live and recapture the blessing that we were created for in our lives. And so I pray, Lord, that today, that as we continue the series, that you'd be with me, that my thoughts would be clear, um, that we would be, as a church, open to whatever you would say to us today, and that we would truly hear from you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, our story starts today on a, on a Saturday. And uh, to be honest, looking back, um, no one remembers, none of them really remembers exactly when he came in the room, um, or how he got in to this very high-level VIP setting. Um, but once he got in, it didn't take long for people to start to notice. There was something obviously wrong with him. He was sick, you could tell just by looking at him. His, his face was pale, um, his arms uh, and legs, uh, then much of his body just felt like almost like swollen, sort of Michelin man, you know, type looking. And, um, and so the question was, how did he get in? Uh, who invited him? Um, why wasn't he stopped? And the longer he was there, the more people became aware of his presence, and everyone was wondering what's going to happen. How long is it going to take for the host to address this situation? You can feel the tension in the room. There's, there's a rise of tension. And uh, everyone's beginning to wonder, how is this story going to end? Well, today we are continuing this series that we've been in uh, the last, I believe, five weeks. I think this is week number six, uh, called The Blessing, uh, God's Pursuit of His People. And if you're, you're brand new here at Rocky Peak, just a special welcome to you. It's just so good to have you. Um, the, kind of the, the key idea behind this series is that you and I were created the part of a race that was created to be in relationship with God. We were created to be in this love relationship. We were created to walk with God, to know Him personally. We were created to be like Him in terms of our core character. We were created, we're told in Genesis 1, to rule over this creation for Him under His blessing. But as we've seen throughout the series that when we rebelled against God as a race, we, we lost this blessing, at least to a large degree. And the story the Bible is telling is how this amazing God has continued to pursue each of us to restore this blessing in our life through the work, especially of his son, Jesus. And so every week what we're doing is taking some time to unpack this, to trace the story of the blessing through the Bible. 
and to explore the choices we need to make to experience the blessing of God in our life. Because as we've seen, it's not automatic. We have to choose to live under the blessing. And so today we're gonna come to a, a very uh, powerful passage of scripture. It's, uh, we're gonna kick it off in the Gospel of Luke. We're gonna look at some life, uh, a key event and some teaching from the life of Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's go ahead and open up. And we're gonna turn to Luke chapter 14. Now while you're turning there, uh, let me set the stage. If you have ever studied much the life and teaching of Jesus, uh, you know that one of his major points of conflict with the religious leaders was over the Sabbath. The Sabbath was huge in Israel. It was one of their kind of social boundary markers that separated them off from the rest of the world. Uh, God had told them in the law and in the Torah that they were to honor the Sabbath. And the controversy between Jesus and the religious leaders is what does it mean to honor the Sabbath? One of the things the religious leaders believed is that when God said you're not to work on the Sabbath, that that took in all kinds of medical care. Like you couldn't go to an urgent care, for example, uh, on the Sabbath unless there was a life-threatening situation. Jesus saw the Sabbath very differently. He once said that the Sabbath was not made for man, but man was made, or, or the uh, man was not made for the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made for man. In other words, the Sabbath was not this ritual, uh, religious thing to do just to jump through some of the hoops, that it was actually a gift from God to give uh, Israel this, this day off. They'd come out of a life of slavery to give them a day off every week, a day for reflection, for um, kind of renewal, uh, for healing in their life. And so for Jesus, the, what better day to heal on the Sabbath? So the religious leaders felt like, hey, you can't, you can't heal on this. In fact, in the previous chapter that we're gonna look at, in chapter 13 Jesus of Luke, Jesus had healed the woman on the Sabbath right in the synagogue, and it led to this major uh, conflict. Uh, the, the synagogue leader had actually told everyone, hey, if you wanna be healed, come back during normal business hours during the week, not on the Sabbath. And so this had been an ongoing conflict. And so what's gonna happen in this event that we're about to read is that it's a Sabbath. Uh, likely Jesus and his disciples have gone to the local synagogue, they've worshiped there, but afterwards they're invited to go to the house of a very prominent Pharisee, a key religious leader, sort of a religious VIP. And uh, when they get there, um, as the dinner is going on, a man walks into the room. Now, we don't know who this man was. We don't know his name. We don't know exactly his background. We don't know whether he was invited or whether he just wandered in off the street, which would actually uh, often happen in that day. It was more socially acceptable. This is the story we started the day with. But when he walked in, everyone noticed him because he was obviously sick. Now, Luke is going to tell us that he has a condition that's called dropsy. Now, technically, from a modern medical point of view, dropsy is not an illness in and of itself. It's more of a the symptom of something, a deeper illness. Usually, something's wrong with your internal organs, like your kidneys or your liver or your heart, but it leads to a swelling of the body, uh, a swelling under the skin, especially in your arms, your legs, and your torso. And so, when this man came in, uh, everyone noticed him, and of course, given the situation of this ongoing conflict about the Sabbath, the question is, what is Jesus going to do? Will he heal on the Sabbath? And so that takes us to our text. So let's pick it up in chapter 14 and verse one. So 
On one Sabbath, uh, when Jesus went to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee, kind of a religious VIP, he was being carefully watched. In other words, when, when, when this sick man came in, everyone was wondering what Jesus was going to do in regard to this man. Because there in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. In the Greek, it says dropsy. And so Jesus decides to go right after. This is a hot topic. He's not going to back off this. He's going to go right, right towards it. So he's going to initiate the conversation. And he asks the Pharisees and the experts of, of the law, the religious law, the Torah. He said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? He wants them to stake out a position. Uh, we're having a conflict over this. Where do you stand? Do you think it's legal, spiritually, to heal on the Sabbath? Now, from long experience, they've learned that it's not really advisable to get into legal disputes with Jesus. It can leave you looking both stupid and humiliating. And so, you're going to see none of them wants to engage in this. So, it says in verse 4, they remain silent. So, taking hold of the man right there in front of everyone, he heals him, and then he sends him on his way, which, which suggests to me maybe he wasn't invited, he'd just come in off the street, uh, kind of maybe a poor man with his sickness. And so he, he sends him on his way, gets him out of harm's way, and then he turns to them, Jesus says, and he said, listen, I've got a question for you. And he's gonna challenge both their theology and their hypocrisy. He said, I know you're all big on the Sabbath. None of you work on the Sabbath. I get that. He says, but let me ask you this. If one of you has a child, one of your children, or you have a, a, a valuable animal, like an ox, that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, uh, will you not immediately pull it out? And of course, the answer is yes. So he says, I, I get this. You don't want to violate the Sabbath. You're honoring the Sabbath. That's great. Hey, but even you make exceptions, right? Because there's some things that, that come up that are so important, life-threatening, dangerous situations, you, you need to act. And he says, and that, that's what's going on here. That when I heal on the Sabbath, uh, I'm rescuing people from this dangerous, painful situation uh, that they've been in. All right, so that's how the story, that's how the event starts. Jesus uh, probably goes to a synagogue, celebrates, worships God, gets invited to the home of this prominent Pharisee. Uh, during dinner, sick man comes in, big scene, Jesus heals and challenges. So the tension, you can, you can, the tension is thick in the room. You can cut it with a knife. But Jesus is going to go after these religious leaders and use this lunch to do some teaching to challenge their whole view of God, to challenge their view of the kingdom of God and what it means to be part of that kingdom. So we don't have time to go through the whole chapter, but I want to jump down to verse 12, because in verse 12, Jesus uh, touches on this topic of the blessing, and what does it take to live a blessed life, which is, of course, our topic today. And so Jesus says to his host in verse 12, so same situation, same host, prominent Pharisee, he says, hey, when you give a luncheon, which is exactly what he's doing right now, you give a luncheon, you give a dinner, do not invite, catch us, your friends, your brothers or sisters, immediate family, your relatives, or your rich neighbor. Now, I want you to catch this. This is probably exactly what he's done. He's invited Jesus to his home for exactly this kind of group of people. And so, if you're there and you're one of these people, there's tension in the room. And he says, if you do, they, will, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. 
And so we see that even in social circles today. That uh, if I invite you to my house for a, a nice party, chances are you have a nice party, you'll invite me to your house. It's just the way society works. And so on the surface, you might say, hey, when you throw a nice party, it's very expensive, you're giving away something. But in reality, Jesus says, when you run in that circle, you're gonna get repaid for that. It's just kind of a, it's sort of the cost of doing business. You give to them, they'll give to you. You've not really invested anything. You've not really lost anything. He says, um, but when you give a banquet, he says, invite to catch us, uh, the poor, invite the poor. Uh, invite um, invite the, the crippled. Uh, uh, invite the lame, and I'm sort of identifying with this message today. Uh, invite the blind, uh, and you will be what? You'll be blessed. Now I want you to underline that, circle that, do whatever Dre would tell you to do. You will be blessed. What I want you to catch is Jesus is marking once again the path to blessing. What does it look like to be blessed? He says the way to be blessed is to live a life of love and especially towards those who need it the most. And he said, although they cannot repay you, they can't afford to have a, a nice dinner and a nice home, they don't have those resources, you will be repaid. In other words, God will repay you at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, let's do a quick sidebar here. We've talked about this some in this series, but I wanna highlight that. When you do a study of blessing in the Bible, and some of you have asked me about this, well, what do you mean by blessing? And in the Bible, the word bless is used in a wide variety of ways. Sometimes, especially in the Old Testament, it talks primarily about physical blessings, right? Uh, financial wealth, uh, physical health, um, uh, protection, safety, right? Uh, success, fame. Um, so sometimes the Bible talks about it, uh, blessing in terms of physical and in the here and now, this life. At other times, this happens more in the New Testament, it focuses on blessings, the spiritual blessing, knowing God, relationship with God, um, and especially a, bl a blessing of transformed character, uh, love, joy, peace, right, uh, meaning and purpose in life, that sort of blessing. Uh, and, and there tends to be more focus on the next life. And so there's a tremendous crossover here. Blessing can be, but the point is blessing can be either now or it can be future. It can be more physical or it can be spiritual or it can be both. Here Jesus is focusing on the next life. One of the things I've often taught you is you can't even begin to understand the teaching of Jesus without understanding that he always thinks in terms of the next life. This life is short, the next life is long. Anyone who's wise is gonna live this life in light of the next life. And so here he says, hey, if you wanna be part of the kingdom, you wanna be blessed in the next life, you're gonna live a life of love, all right? So what I wanna do from this passage then, based on this passage, is I wanna to highlight today one big picture principle that jumps out at me, and then second, come back at the end and ask one very pointed question, both for you and me, Frank, for, for all of us. So there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called The Blessing, The Life of Love. So let's jump in. So here's the big picture principle. Let me give it to you, spell it out, we'll explore it some, and then we'll come back to the question. So here's the principle. The principle is that the path of blessing leads to a life of love. The path of blessing leads to a life of love. Now, this is what Jesus has been teaching. If you want to be blessed, um, then you need, you need to make a choice to live a life of love 
and especially love for those who need it the most, like he's just illustrated for us in chapter 14 of Luke. Now, if you study the life and teaching of Jesus, obviously he models this and he teaches us throughout his ministry in a wide variety of ways. For example, one of my favorite Jesus stories is in Mark chapter one. Jesus has just started his ministry. His fame is starting to spread. People are coming to be healed. And there's this man, we don't know his name. We don't know his background, but he's a leper. And we know by that that according to the Old Testament Torah that you're not able to associate with other people when you have leprosy. In fact, you have to call from a distance and and say that you're unclean to kind of warn them that they would stay away. So most likely this man has lost his job, lost his family, uh, lost his community. He's isolated and he's a leper, but he hears that Jesus is able to heal people. And so I want you to catch this. He's gonna break the rules. He's gonna break the rules and he's gonna come to Jesus. He's, he's supposed to stay away, but he's gonna break the rules. He's so desperate. And he comes to Jesus. You see the passage there in your note sheet and he says, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You can heal me. And Jesus is willing. And he says, I am willing. And in the passage here, you'll see it, it says he was filled with compassion. And I love this, he reaches out and he touches this man whose body is full of leprosy and sores. It's a beautiful moment. When you stop and think about it, Jesus could have healed this man from a distance. In fact, in Luke chapter 17, we're told about a group of 10 men that did follow the rules. And when they saw Jesus, they stood at a distance and they called out to him, unclean, unclean. And they said, but if you you want, you can heal us. Would you please heal us? And from a distance, Jesus spoke the word and all 10 were instantly healed. But in this case, with this man who's broken the rules, Jesus breaks the rules. And he reaches out and he touches him. Filled with compassion. And whenever I read that story, I'm always reading between the lines, but I think Jesus knew this man needed more than physical healing. This is a man who had probably lost his family, lost his community. He probably hadn't been touched in years. And Jesus reaches out to touch him, to heal not just his body, but to heal his heart. And this is what you see in the life of Jesus. You see this tenderness, this compassion, this love for those who others won't love. You see it here with the leper, You'll see it uh, later in his life as Jesus is going to Jericho, the two men calling out in the crowd, son of David, son of David, have mercy on us. They're blind. You remember the crowd's telling him to shut up. He's, be quiet. But Jesus hears their voices over the crowd and he says, bring them to me. You remember the, the story of the woman who's been bleeding for, what, eight years or what, 10 years, whatever it was. The doctors had not been able to heal. She'd spent all of her money. If I can just get to him and touch the hem of his garment, and he does, and he says, who touched me? And everyone's like, what do you mean everyone's touching you? No, someone touched me, I felt the power go out. Not like in Simi Valley, by the way. I felt the power go out of me. And this woman comes afraid of what he's gonna say, but he says, daughter, your faith 
has made you well. So much compassion. You see him when he teaches for three days and the crowds don't, they've run out of food and it says Jesus had compassion on them and he fed them. You see it in a very similar scene to this prominent Pharisee's dinner. Jesus is at a dinner and a woman comes in who's, a, who's lived a sinful life, very likely a prostitute, but she's been so touched by his teaching. She's rejected by everyone else, but she comes to Jesus and she's so moved by the time she gets there, she begins to cry and her tears begin to fall on his feet and she begins to wipe her to wash his feet with her hair. And while everyone else is condemning her, why would you let a sinful woman like that touch you? If you were truly a prophet, you would not let that happen. And Jesus, his heart goes out and he restores her. The woman caught in the very act of adultery, daughter, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see this compassion of Jesus, this love for Jesus for those who aren't loved, for those who are rejected, for those who are on the outside, for the poor, the blind, the lame, the crippled, for the social outcasts, for the super sinners of his day, tax collectors, Jesus' heart flows for them. It's not that he loves them more, it's that he loves them more because they're unloved. It's like when he leaves the 99 to go after the one. It's not that he loves the one more than the 99, it's just the one needs the love more. And so Jesus would not only model this in his life, he would often teach this. That if you're gonna be a follower of mine, that it's, it's about being transformed to be the kind of person that I am, that you would allow me to change you to be like I am. And that means that you would love those, not just who love you, but you would love those who are not like you. Love those that most people would not love. One of his most famous stories that Jesus tells is in the last week of his life. It's Matthew 25. We don't have time to go through it in detail, but I'm gonna give you the short version. And so in Matthew 25, it's the last week of his life. He's doing a lot of teaching, and he says to his, to his disciples in the crowd, he says, at the end of time, when I return, he said, I'm gonna separate all peoples into two groups. Like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and in this story, the sheep represent the righteous, or as he says, the blessed. And the goats represent the unrighteous, what he calls the cursed. In this story, after he separates them, the, the righteous, the blessed, are gonna go into eternal life with Jesus, into the kingdom which has been created for them, ready for them since the foundation of the earth. The cursed are gonna go off into eternal punishment, what we call hell. And so it's a pretty powerful, pretty powerful story. Like what does it mean to be part of the sheep and not the goats? What does it take to, to be part of the kingdom and not to go into eternal destruction? And so what Jesus says is, well the difference is the sheep, they have loved me. They've truly loved me. They've trusted me with their life, they've loved me. In fact, they've taken care of me when I was in my moment of greatest need. And I, I put an excerpt from the teaching there on your uh, note sheet. And he says in chapter 25, and starting at verse 34, he says, the king will say to those on his right, the, uh, the sheep, the righteous, the blessed, He'll say, come you who are what? Blessed. Don't miss it. Circle it, underline it, highlight it. 
This is what this series is about. What does it mean to be part of the blessed? What does it take to choose a path of blessing? So he says to these sheep on his right, the righteous, come, you who are blessed by my Father, and take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. He says, this is why I've come, to create a kingdom and to bring you in. He said, you're the ones who get to go in. And he said, now here's the reason why. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And of course the the sheep, the righteous, the blessed are there, and they're kind of running through their mind. It's like looking at each other, like, I, I don't remember ever seeing, do you, did you meet Jesus? Like, none of, Jesus, none of us have ever met you personally, is what they're going to say, let alone met you at your point of greatest need. But Jesus says, yes, but he says, the king will reply, look at the next passage, truly, I tell you, that whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers, so remember, we're all separated, we've got the sheep and the goats, the sheep are on his right. These are his brothers and sisters, right? Jesus always refers to his followers as the, the will of those who do the will of God are my mother and brother and sisters. He says, whatever you did for one of these brothers or sisters of mine, he said, you did for me. This is what the Bible teaches. There's this organic link between Jesus and his people through the Holy Spirit. To touch one of his is to touch Jesus in some ways, it's like a parent, like you touch my children, you're touching me. You bless them, you bless me. You hurt them, you hurt me. And Jesus says, you serve me well because when you love my people, you are loving me in my point of greatest need. And so, this is an interesting thing, right? Uh, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And what does it mean to be part of his kingdom? And how do we grow? Uh, so I want to ask a question. Um, and the question, it's there on your note sheet, is called, do we need, uh, let, let me fill in the blank, it goes like this. Uh, do we need a paradigm shift? So we've seen the principle. We've seen the principle that if we want to walk on the path of blessing, that Jesus says we need to live a life of love. But it leads to a question for our life. And the question is, do we need a paradigm shift? Now, you say, well, what do you mean? Well, you know, a paradigm is the way we look at life, sort of our big picture perspective on life. This is how we think life works. And let me ask you a question. If I were to ask you, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? How do we become part of his kingdom? What does it take to be part of the kingdom that's coming? Uh, what would you say? I think for many of us, probably most of us, we'd say something like this. We might use different words, but we say something like this, that, well, to be part of his kingdom means that we come to Jesus and we, we ask Jesus into our life. We ask him to forgive us for our sins, to fill us with his Holy Spirit who will transform us from the inside out, um, to teach us how to follow him. Um, to be a follower of Jesus means to put off the old and to put on the new. 
as the Apostle Paul often says. We're gonna put off the old life of sexual immorality or greed or hatred or slander or fraud or whatever it is. And we're gonna put on this new life, this new character qualities like Jesus. It means that we're going to begin to follow Jesus and begin to um, pursue him uh, one-on-one with time alone with him. We're gonna go to church, be part of a fellowship. We're going to join a small group where we can grow. We're gonna discover our spiritual gifts. We're going to uh, learn to give to, to Jesus, to his kingdom, to advance his kingdom. And of course, all of those are true. All of those are right. All of those are important. But the question I wanna ask is what would it look like if we evaluated our spiritual growth, our maturity, our love and trust of Jesus, not just by these things, but what if we evaluated them by Luke chapter 14 of loving the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind? What what would happen if we evaluated our spiritual maturity and our commitment to the kingdom by loving, as Jesus said, the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. You see, I don't think it's an either or, it's a a both and. And it's a tremendous challenge to us of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And you say, well, what, what does it look like in our life to take these words of Jesus, path the blessing, to love the poor, the blind, the lame, the super sinners, what does that look like in your life and my life? And you know, I I don't have all the answers for that. I want you to notice how I asked this question. I said, do we need a paradigm shift? I didn't say do you need, I say do we, because I'm very much in this. I'm not sure what this means for uh, your life, my life, I don't know the specifics. And one thing I know from following Jesus is that, that he often has different assignments for different people. We're not all called to do exactly the same thing. Uh, There's different assignments for different churches as well. But this is a question I've been asking a lot. In fact, uh, earlier this year in the summer is when I came across this passage in Luke 14, and just in my own personal time with the Lord. Um, It was long before I knew we were doing this series, The Blessing. But it it had such an impact on my life. And in my daily life, uh, my daily time with the Lord, I began to memorize this passage that we read today. Um, I wanted to just reflect on it, meditate on it. I wanted to take it before the king and say, Jesus, you have been so clear here that if I wanna be blessed in the resurrection, I need to throw banquets for the poor, for the blind, for the lame, for the crippled and so on. And by the way, when Jesus said this, hey, don't throw banquets for your friends, I don't think he meant that uh, exclusively. You know, Jesus often when he would teach, he would use what we call hyperbole, kind of exaggerated speech to make a point. You think of the Sermon on the Mount where he said um, that if your right hand offends you and leads you into sin, cut it off. If your right eye offends you and leads you into sin, gouge it out. He wasn't saying that literally. He was making an extreme statement to make a point that anything that's keeping you from following Jesus, you need to get rid of it because your future and eternity is at stake. And in a similar way here, when he says when you throw a party, 
don't throw a party for your friends, your relatives, um, for the rich, whatever. He's not saying, hey, it's never appropriate to have a birthday party. It's never, you shouldn't have a Christmas party for your friend. No, I think he's making a point. And the point is the way normal life is, we love those who love us. We give to those who have something to give back to us. Now Jesus says, in, in my kingdom, this is my heart, I have come to love the world, but especially those that are unloved. And this is why in his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he started with the blessings, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are you with mourn. He's telling them there's more for you in the future. And he has a tremendous heart for those who are suffering, in need, rejected. And he wants us to understand that if we're gonna follow him, that his vision for our life is to be transformed, that we would love others as he does, especially those who are in the greatest need. And so what does this mean for us? I don't have all the answers, but I'm continuing to seek the Lord, pray about this in my own life, pray about this for our church. What does this mean as we move into the future? But I think it's very clear that Jesus says, if you wanna be blessed, it's living this life of love. And what's really interesting, remember we talked earlier about the blessing and how it's this life, it's next life, it's sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's spiritual. It's really interesting. Jesus today in Luke 14 focused clearly on the blessing of the resurrection of the righteous, the next life. But you know, other times that blessing takes in the here and now. And I think of one famous event that happened on the very last night of his life in John chapter 13, where after dinner, uh, the last night he was with his disciples, he did that amazing thing that just shocked them all. You remember he stripped down, uh, wrapped a towel around his waist to begin to wash their feet. Uh, job so low that it was considered too menial for Jewish men to do. Um, uh, it was illegal for a rabbi to have his disciples do this. Um, but instead, in this case, the rabbi is doing it for his disciples. Remember, they're all blown away, but what he's doing is he's illustrating what it looks like to live this life of love, to humble ourselves and serve one another in the humblest of ways, those who need it the most. And when he finished that uh, illustration, I don't know if you remember what he said, but I put it there on your note sheet. And so John 13, and this is the last thing, after he got dressed, sat down, this dramatic moment, he said, now that you know these things, what things? Well, the things I've been teaching you, that the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all, that I've not come to be served, but to serve. That's I've modeled that for you. He said, now that you know these things, you'll be what? You'll be blessed if you do them. See, the path of blessing, whether it's this life or the next life, it always leads through this door of love. And it's love especially for those who need it the most, those who others won't love. And when we do that, it touches the heart of Jesus because that's who he is. And he says, if you will follow me and do that, you'll be blessed in this life and the next life because that is what matters most. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you as a church right now, we just pray for wisdom and understanding. I think sometimes our paradigms of what it means to be a believer, um, they need to be adjusted. They need to be 
altered, corrected. We're so thankful for what you've taught us about following you, and yet I sense that here there's something more, that there is a love you're calling us to, it's more, and we just pray, God, that whether it's our own lives, whether it's as a church, you would teach us how to be your hands and feet, how to love like you did, and to especially those in our own body, they're in the greatest need, or those on the outside that are most rejected and need us the most. We pray that in this you would be seen working in and through us, your kingdom would advance, your name would be honored, that we would be transformed to be like you. We pray this in Jesus' name.